0: Welcome to Park Church. We are glad that you are here. This Christmas season, we've been going through this series. It's called Let There Be. And if you haven't been around for it, if you've missed it, I'll give you a brief overview. Those three words, let there be, these are the first words that we hear God speak in the Bible. Right? Page one, Genesis, God's creating stuff. He's like, let there be light, and there's light. Let there be animals, and there's animals. Um, To put it simply, we believe that at Christmas time, God has spoken a new word. God has spoken uh, the best word, the word that we need to hear. And it's not a word, like a verbal word like I'm saying. It's the word who is a person. It's Jesus. Jesus is God's um, word to us. And when we look at his birth, when we look at his life, we look at his teaching, his death, his resurrection, um, we learn all that we need to. Uh, And when God speaks, things things that previously didn't exist are called into existence. And so throughout this series, we've been asking, what does Christ's birth, what does the birth of Jesus call into existence? We've talked about hope, how there's a new reason for hope, a new way to hope. We talked about light, how um, there is new light on our path that wasn't there before. We talked about joy. That was last week. And this week, we're going to talk about uh, a topic, a theme, that's a little different for us. We don't talk about it that much, but we sing about it, um, and, the, and the theme is glory, let there be glory. Now, if you were here at the very beginning of the service, you know we sung uh, Angels We Have Heard on High. And like the the, uh, chorus of that song is Gloria in Excelsis Deo. It means, that's like a Latin thing, it means um, glory to God in the highest. That's what that means. We sing about glory all the time in Christmas songs. Um, You'll start to pay attention to this now and you'll hear it. There, There is glory all over the place in these Christmas songs. And why is that? Well, it's because uh, that's what the angels sung when Jesus was born. There are, you know, the shepherds who were hanging out, they're doing their thing. um, And the angel comes to the shepherds and says, hey, guys, don't be afraid. We have good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, the Messiah, who is the Lord. And it's good news of great joy for all people. And that's true for us, too. Um, And the shepherds want to go and they want to see this. And before they do, this this multitude of angels come and they start singing. And what they sing is this, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those those he favors. The birth of Jesus called forth glory from these angels. What we want to talk about, what we want to hear this morning is what does that glory actually mean? What does that look like? Um, Why do we sing glory so much at this time of year? All right? So to get at this, um, let's just talk about glory a little bit first. Um, You probably know, have a generalized sense of what glory means, but I bet you never thought about it, because I never thought about it until this week when I was working on this. Like, what is glory? What does that actually mean? When we use the word glory in English, right, it means like honor. It means renown. When something is magnificent, right, we give glory to it. Um, When we glory in something, we take great pride in that thing. Um, It's a joy for us. That's kind of what um, to glory in something means. We take pleasure in it. When the New Testament, when these angels are talking about glory, um, really kind of the roots of that word come from the Old Testament. They come from Hebrew. And the Hebrew word where we get our glory from is a word, it's called kabod. That's what that's what the Hebrew roots of that word is. And what kabod is all about, um, it's about weight. It's about heaviness, right? Um, I keep trying to tell my wife that I should continue to eat buffalo wings and cheese at an alarming rate because it adds to my glory, right? <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't land well with her. But, um, but it means heaviness, it means weightiness, Here's what it means. It means what's what's most important. What has the greatest significance? What what weighs heaviest, right, on people's hearts? That's where glory is. It's about what matters most. When we hear about glory, that's what it surrounds. And this makes sense because when we think about glory these days, it's really the same kind of story. Um, People who receive glory this day and age are people who we perceive as um, winning at the thing that matters most, right? So when there's an election and you win the election, you receive glory and the other person has to make a concession speech and it stinks. But the winner gets the parade and the winner gets the the stuff falling down, right? Um, When we think about war, we think about glory in there. And uh, in war, glory doesn't always go to the person who makes it out alive. Glory goes to the person um, who gave the most who sacrificed the most, who did the most important thing on the battlefield, right? Whether they made it out or not, like that's what glory is. When we talk about g- glory in this culture, um, a lot of times it's around sports, right? The winner gets the glory. So when you score the basket or when you, um, you know, make the touchdown, like you get glory and you celebrate, right? When you do that to win the game, you get a lot of glory, right? When you do the thing to win the game, you get a lot of glory for that. When you do the thing to win the game in the championship game, where, all, where everything's on the line, where it matters most, um, and you win because of that, you've achieved the greatest thing, what matters most in that sport. You get all kinds of glory. You get streamers down from the sky, you get paid a bunch of money, you get parades in New York City. Um, that's what we think of with glory, people who win and win doing the most important thing. Glory surrounds what matters most. This morning, what we're going to look at is glory as related to God. What matters most to God? And I wonder if you've ever actually stopped and thought about that question. What matters most to God? I think if we were to ask that question of people who we work with, people who we live next to, people we see at the store. Um, Ask them, you know, what do you think matters most to God? I think we're going to hear a lot of answers that are kind of all over the map, right? I think one of the answers that we're going to hear really maybe more than anything else is here's what matters most to God, that you're good enough. That That you're just good enough for God to accept you, which means like you can curse a little bit but not too much. And you can drink a little bit but not too much. Um... And like you can steal pens from your office, and that's fine. But like you can't steal and like get put in jail. Like then God won't love. Like if you if you're just if you're just good enough. And really, what this is is another way um, of kind of saying what matters most to God is that you make yourself good enough to be accepted by God. You make yourself presentable to God. That's what people in general think matters most to God. Another possibility of what people think um, matters most to God is that we think the right way. Or that we believe the right way. That we think the right things. Because if you think the wrong things, then you're wrong and that's what matters most to God. And so when it comes to um, things like having the right politics, voting the right way, there's, there's huge like, swaths of the country that think um, what matters most to God is just how you vote. It's just how you think on this social issue or on that social issue, or how you spend your money, um, all of these things like this. Do those things matter? Of course they matter. Are they important? Of course they're important. Is being good important? Is that, of course it matters. Is that the thing that matters most in God's eyes? I don't think so. For a lot of people, uh, the answer to the question, what matters most, is this. That you find a way to show God that you're on his team. And the way that that happens for a lot of people, for like your neighbors, the people you see every day, is um, if I come to church at least around Christmas and at least around Easter, then it shows that I'm on that team and I'm good. And for some people, that's not enough. And so it's, if I come to church somewhat regularly, that's gonna be good enough. That's gonna show that I'm on the team. Um, For others, it's not like that, It's, it's actually, I have to be at church every week and then I show that I am actually on God's team. Because what God cares about most is uh, perfect attendance on Sundays, right? For some people, it's um, how we worship, whether it's with our hands and waving or whether it's on our knees, uh, quiet, and how we pray and how we do communion and how we baptize, right? Do we do uh, adults or do we do kids? These are the things that matters most in God's eyes. Of Of course, these things do matter. These things, you know, these things are important. But the problem is when we get confused and think that these are the most important things, we get off track. I think think what we've done as a church over the last 2,000 years um, is we've presented an image of God that has lost track of what God actually um, cares about of what matters most to God. And because of that, we have a culture who looks at the church, looks at Christianity, especially in this country, and they're like, if that's all that God cares about, then I don't want to be involved with that. Because like, who wants to worship a God um, who cares about things that just aren't ultimate like that? And so uh, we have a lot of work to do in that way. But I want to ask you like, the personal question. When you think about your relationship with God, when you think about the way God thinks about you, What do you think matters most to God? In your relationship with God, what do you think God thinks is the most important thing? It could be all that stuff. You think, I'm here every Sunday. I'm doing my my part, right? I bet bet that's not it, though. Um, Maybe the thing that you think matters most is if I could only get my faith right. If I could only get this figured out, if I could always if I could only get rid of the doubts, if I could only get rid of um, the stuff that I deal with, the stuff that I don't quite understand about faith, the disappointment, that's what matters most to God, me getting my own faith right. maybe. Maybe for you, the thing that you think God thinks matters most um, is just the way that you are, something something about you some Um, some attitude, some disposition, some behavior that you can't quite seem to get around and it keeps getting in the way. And that's the most important thing to God about you. And because that's what you think, you think your relationship with God is just never going to happen because you can't get out of your own way. Maybe. Or is it for you that thing that you did? That thing that you've done that you regret doing, that you wish you could undo, but it is now hanging over you and you can't You can't seem to make atonement for it. You can't seem to make it go away on your own. And listen, that thing, it matters. It matters to God. It matters so much that he paid the ultimate price to make it so that that thing isn't the ultimate thing in your life. But it is not the ultimate thing. It is not the thing that matters most. It's not that any of that stuff is unimportant, but those are not the deciding factor for you for your relationship with God, or for the way God thinks about you. Unless you allow it to be the deciding factor. Then it could be. But when thinking about glory, thinking about God's glory, that's not where glory is for God. The deciding factor, what matters most for God, is somewhere else, it's something else. And that's what we're going to kind of dig into now. One of the problems with this topic, and I experienced this this week, is I thought I would be able to open the scriptures Find the passage that tells us everything we need to know about glory? And I could have given you the answer, and it would have been an easy sermon to prepare. And what I found this week was quite a different story. When you open uh, the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, what you see is glory on every page, practically. It is everywhere in the Old Testament and in the New. It's used in a thousand different ways. It's, it's, it's different parts of speech. It means different things. It's used surrounding all kinds of situations. So coming at you with like a systematic definition of what glory looks like, is just, it, I mean, it's gonna fall short either way, and it's just impossible to do. So rather than that, um, let's think in terms of word cloud. You know what a word cloud is? right? It's like all the different words and like the big themes pop up, right? If you word cloud glory. The theme that pops up again and again, the thing um, that surrounds glory again and again, Old Testament and New Testament, listen, it's God's relentless pursuit to get human beings back to himself. That's the thing that matters most to God. God with man again. God with humans again. God and us together at last. That is what gets God up in the morning right? That's the thing that matters most. That's the thing that um, glory surrounds. That's what weighs heaviest on God's heart. When you put your image of God, of what matters most, put that in contrast to that image. How do they line up? Do they fit or is there a big discrepancy there? When we look in the New Testament, if you give a quick survey of the New Testament, um, you will see, again and again, glory abounds where God achieves his purposes of bringing people back to himself. Or when God moves the ball down the field of getting people back to himself. Or where God achieves little victories in the battle to remove the barriers between us and himself. And like, it, well, actually, never mind. Yeah. In the Gospel of Luke, forget I did that. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, it's like, glory to God in the highest, because Jesus, the birth of Jesus, is a huge step in God's battle to get people back to himself, right? God does the thing no one ever thought would do. He came to this earth and born, born as a human baby. That's, um, that's something no one was expecting him to ever do. That's why there's glory surrounding Jesus' birth. Because this is, this is the beginning of the plan to get people back. In the book of Hebrews, which is now up there... Um, Hebrews is a letter in the end of the Bible. It's got different language, different imagery. It's a little strange to read, but right at the beginning of it, the writer of Hebrews spells it out. He, meaning Jesus, is the reflection of God's glory. If you want to know what God's glory is, just take a look at Jesus. That's what God's glory is. And the way Jesus is talked about in the book of Hebrews, it's really in two big ways. On one hand, Jesus is the perfect priest. He is the perfect priest. And what a priest does is he brings God to man and man to God. That's what a priest does. And Jesus does that in a way that there is no need of a priest ever again. Right? Uh, The other way that Hebrews talks about Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Up until this point in the history of God's people, they had to slaughter animals and all that kind of stuff. They had to give part of their crops and part of their money. All of that was meant to atone for their sin. They had to sacrifice in order to like, get back on God's team, to win God's favor back, for them to be acceptable. The book of Hebrews says that's over now because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. There's no need for any sacrifices anymore. That's why we don't have an altar up here where we can kill animals on it. Um, because Jesus has given his life fully, completely bringing 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 all of us, men and women, children, bringing us back to God so that there's no barriers that stands in between us. If we look through um, the rest of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, it opens talking about what Jesus' arrival means, what, what his birth means. And the way it's talked about is the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God took on human skin, human flesh, dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. We saw it. It was the glory of a father's only son, and that's left hanging in the beginning of the Gospel of John. But here in John 17, Jesus, Jesus completes that thought. He says, I glorified you, Father, on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And the work that Jesus finishes, that he came to do, was to give his life so that we could live. Was to uh, wipe, wipe the record clean that stood against us. So that he could remove any barrier that keeps us from God. It's not just... John, though, it happens in Paul again and again and again. He talks about God's glory all the time. And um, in this this particular moment, uh, he's talking about how the good news of Jesus, right, that um, it's not just for one kind of person anymore. It's for all people. Um, And right right in the middle of it, he's talking about this as a mystery. He says, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, what glory reaches out for is Christ in you. In you, Christ with you, Christ among you, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your home, in your neighborhood, in the work that you do, in what you give yourself to—that's what that's what glory reaches out for. God and us together at last. That's what that's what it's all about for Paul, and that's what it was all about for Jesus too. We're going to look at um, a, a story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke that pictures this just perfectly what matters most to God, what brings God glory. And it's a story that you've heard before if you've been around this church for a while. Chances are if you've been around any church for a while you've heard this before. Um, even if you've never been to church before, you might recognize this. It's one that we do again and again because it's simply central to what we believe is most important to God. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Um, In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories. All three are about things or people that are lost to God, that are lost. There's a lost sheep. There's a lost coin. And when the sheep and the coin are found, uh, the way it's depicted is that the angels in heaven are rejoicing because what was lost was found again. And then Jesus tells this much longer story. And we're going to kind of walk through it um, and really hear again what matters most to God, what brings God glory and so here it is Luke 15 if you want to follow along then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons the younger of them the younger son said to his father father give me the share of the property that will belong to me so he has an inheritance coming to him um, and he wants it now he's supposed to get it once his dad is dead but he wants it now which is basically another way of saying to your dad I wish that you had died now so that I could get your money right really not the nicest thing." So the father divided his property between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. Now, dissolute living just sounds like what you think it sounds like, right? It is not good living, what he did. Um, Thinking about what matters most to God, right? Being good, being good enough. This guy is not. He is squandering it in dissolute living. Jesus continues, when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This is a, this is a picture of just pure desperation at this point. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your slaves, like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and went to his father. Just notice there, what does the son think matters most to the father? It's not him, he's not, the per- he's not what matters most, it's his behavior. The thing that matters most in the son's eyes, he thinks the father is that he behaves the right way, that he spends the money the right way, that he didn't squander it in dissolute living, right? He thinks that, that his father will never have him back, will never welcome him back, won't even want him back, except as a slave, because what matters most to, his, to him in his father's eyes, um, is living the right way, is doing the right thing, following the rules, right? That's his, that's his mindset going out. So he set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, and if you've never heard this story before, um, picture yourself in this, in this son who's wandered far off. Even if you have heard this story before, picture yourself in this son. While he was still far off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father basically interrupts him and says, Enough with the speech. I don't care about that. I don't care what you did. That's not the thing that matters most. Could you imagine doing that? I mean, if you're a parent, you might actually be able to imagine that, right? Your, your son, your daughter has run away, whatever the reason, they come back. Do you care what happened? Do you want them to pay you back? No, you just love them. You're so happy to have them back. That's what we see here in the father's response. He said to his slave, the father said to one of the slaves, quickly bring a robe, the best one, and put it on him put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. Um, these are the things of royalty. The son comes back wanting to be nothing but a slave, and the father uh, makes him royal, right? This is, this, is, this is glory in action right here. He said, get the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for the son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. But there's another son in this story. And this is where it gets uh, interesting. Well, the whole thing's interesting. That was a bad phrase. Um, This is where it gets a little different. Now the elder son, the older guy, was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So you see the scene that Jesus is setting up here. Um, The younger son has come back and is now in the house. He's in the house with dad, celebrating he is in he is in dad's presence in the house the young the older son he's out in the field he is he is um further from the father he's away so he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on he replied your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf Uh, the fatted calf is really an awesome thing by the way They didn't get to eat that much in those days like this. And they kept this fatted calf for like the biggest celebration of the year. So this is like, you know, steak and Thanksgiving, like all in one meal right here. Um, Killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. The brother, the older brother, then he became angry. He refused to go in. So his father, and this is how gracious the father is. The father comes out and begins to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Do you see what the older brother thinks matters most to the father? following the commands, doing the things, being good enough, being good enough to be acceptable in the eyes of the Father. And listen to what the Father has to say to him. If you've never heard this, um, ask God to write this on your heart. It's my favorite verse in the entire Bible. The Father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate And rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life he was lost and has been found you hear what matters most to the father does the fact that he squandered half of his property does that matter to the father it probably does it probably hurts him deeply it's a waste of money the whole thing is an offense to him, especially in that time. Um, but is that, is that the thing that matters most to the father? No. The thing that matters most to the father is that he has his son back. That's the thing that matters most. That's the thing that matters most to God. They had, they had to celebrate because uh, the son is back. The brother was dead and has come back to life. He is lost And has been found. Uh, The son was now in the house. He's now back with his father. He's now in the presence of his father. um, Living the kind of life that the father meant for him to live. With the robe and the ring and the sandals and the whole deal. That's what it's like uh, living in the presence of the father there. This is what brings God glory. People coming back to him. And if that's the thing that matters most to God, then how can can we let that glory be in our lives? How can we do that? Um, There's really two ways I want to talk about it. The first way um, is, to borrow off this metaphor, it's to live in the house of the Father, to live in the house of God. I think for a lot of us, um, a lot of us, we kind of approach our faith like something that we do for like 75 minutes on a Sunday morning, 90 minutes if I go on and on, right? And if you say for a bagel, um, <laughs> 74 minutes if the fire alarm goes off ahead of time, right? Um, like we approach our faith something like that. And that's not, that's not living in the house. That's just calling home once a week for about an hour. Um, This time of year, people like me are known for, like, really cheesy word plays on things like this. Um, God's presence and Christmas presents, right? There are people who have been to churches before, and they're like, "Ugh, I've heard that. Um, I would never be someone who uses a cheesy word play to help you remember something. That would never happen. However, if that were to happen, it might go something like this. Um... What God offers us, what God offers each and every one of you is to live in his house, is to have his presence with you day after day in a relationship um, that happens every moment of every day. That's what, that's what God offers to you. That's, um, that's his present, right? That's his gift that he gives you. When you decide, when we decide to only visit for 75 minutes a week, right? That's like living that, that's like leaving that gift unopened. That's like leaving that gift sitting under the present. We are meant to open that gift. We are meant to unpack that gift. We are meant to enjoy that gift. But we don't do that. It's like we just call home and check in with dad. Um, That's very different than living in the house as the prodigal son story kind of pushes us to. So the question is, how do we do that? The first thing is, it's something we do every day. W- would you say that your pursuit of your relationship with God is more characterized by the 75 minutes a week or by an every day living in the house of God, um, talking with God, communicating with him, receiving him, enjoying him here? Your pursuit of your relationship with God, how is it? How is that characterized? Listen, if you want to um, live, experience the glory that comes at Christmas time, that, that, that God brings when he brings his presence to us, if you want to experience that glory, 75 minutes a week is just not going to cut it. It's not going to get you anything. It might actually just be deceiving you, thinking you're doing good enough, right? Our relationship with God, it is on us to cultivate it. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. God pushes and pulls. He provokes. He whispers. But as Paul says, as God works in us, as God works on us, it's on us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's on us to exercise it. It's on us to practice it, to participate it, um, to work out our relationship with God. And throughout the New Testament, we see that again and again and again. It's continue to walk, continue to live, step after step, day after day, practice um, living God's presence, opening that gift, unwrapping it, enjoying it. And like with any relationship, the way that we do that is we just have to give our time to it. And that's something we've talked about again and again throughout the series. We've come back to it again and again because it's really at the heart um, of receiving, of, of having Christ be born to us again, right? That's, that's what's at the heart of it, giving God our time, giving God our time in prayer, talking to God every day, listening to God every day. And prayer is not rocket science It's talking to him about the things that matter most. That matter most to him, matter most to you. Talking about the doubts you have, the fears you have, the things you're feeling, the things you want, the things you don't want. Um, Anyone can do it at any time. You could do it right now, even if you've never prayed before in your life. You can go home and do that. It's not anything more than that. But as you do that, that's how your relationship with God builds. Just like the way your relationship with any human being builds, by spending time together. Um, We have to give God our time, our attention um, by paying attention to what he says to us through his word, which is why like, it's as simple as this, but like, pick up the Bible every day and read it. If you're not doing that, you just can't have the sort of relationship with God that's gonna generate the sort of um, hope and light and joy and glory and peace and love that you're meant to experience, that God came to give. Pick up the Bible and read it every day. If you don't have a Bible, uh, two things one is you can get one off the welcome desk for free and second you all have a bible it's on the phone like we all have them in our pockets every day um you could use our reading plan we're going to do a new one for 2019 or you could use your own reading plan just pick up his word and read it because that's where he speaks to us that's where he shows us what's most important that's where he tells us what we need to hear that's where he reveals his glory in some sense And like in any relationship, for it to work, for it to grow, for it to produce the fruit that it's meant to, um, we have to be open to God changing us, to God coming in and throwing the furniture around in our lives, right? Um, We have a tendency to approach God and say, God, thank you for everything. We love you. We think you're great. I want to change, but when it comes down to it, I'm unwilling to do anything different. That's not a relationship, right? Could you imagine doing that with your spouse, right? Like, that's actually where most of our fights come from, right, like, I need you to do this differently, and it's like, yes, yes, I will, and then you don't do it differently. Um, That's how we approach, that's how we approach God sometimes. Do you allow your relationship with Jesus to actually change you, to change what you do, to change the way your mind works, to change how you think? Do you do the things he tells you to do, or do you resist, do you give yourself the way he calls you to, or do you hold back? Do you put yourself into his service or do you resist and only serve yourself? It is God who grows us. It is God who gives the growth. But we have the ability to shut that growth out by shutting out God from our lives. There's a line in a little town of Bethlehem um, and I never noticed it until this week. It says, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear christ enters in do we approach god sometimes as people who just know better who are not meek in any sense right Um, the challenge here approach god in a meek way say to god god i don't know what's better i need you to tell me what's better i don't know where to go i need you to show me where to go there are problems in my life and i can't handle them i need you to help me to handle them Um, if you do that your relationship with him His presence in your life will change. There's so much to say about cultivating this relationship. Um, Prayer, scripture, worship, hearing God, being open, um, joining in with other people who are seeking that relationship together. That's what we try to do in our community groups. Um, Get into one in the winter when we kind of kick them off again. Get involved with serving. These are all ways to kind of let that glory be in our lives. The question I'll ask is, is there a next step you can take in your relationship with God? Is there a next step, a practical next step you can take um, to live in the house of the Father in a different way? Whatever it is, this is the time to take it. Don't let the season go by and not take it. It could be as as simple as receiving uh, the Father's love for you and not pushing it away anymore, right? This son had the ability to say to his father, like, I'm so sorry, and the father says, it's okay, I don't care, I love you anyway, and the son be like, no, 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 you know what, I'm going to actually, I'll be a slave, like, I don't need this. Don't do that. If God's grace is for you, if God loves you, if God welcomes you in, receive that. Take that in. And so maybe your next step, it's as simple as that. It's inviting him in again. It's saying yes to God again. Whether you've never done that um, or Or whether you've done that 100 times and this is the 101st and you need that, do that. That's the first way I'll talk about letting there be glory. The second way I'll talk about letting there be glory in our lives, um, here it is. If what matters most to God is more and more people coming to him, if what matters most to God is God and us together at last, the way you can participate in glory, the way you can bring about glory is by bringing other people in. It's by bringing other people to the house where they're also able to live uh, in the presence of the Father. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he talks a lot about glory in that. And in one of the chapters, he talks specifically about what's called the eternal weight of glory. He talks about how um, someday there will be a day where we are with God together at last, together for good. We will see him face to face. All the, all the tears will be wiped away. Uh, pain and crying will be no more. That's from Revelation, not from Paul. But um, there's coming a day where that will happen. And what we're suffering through now, it will be like a momentary affliction in contrast to the eternal weight of glory that's coming. And that is so hopeful and that should um, move us forward. I talked about that last week actually, about living into that future. But right before he says that, um, Paul is talking about the work that we as Christ followers, as the church, are called into. And look at what he has to say in relation to glory especially. He talks about grace, the good news of Jesus. As it extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What brings God glory is when more and more people, uh, when grace extends to more and more people. And that produces um, faith. That produces, thank you, God. That's what that produces. That's what brings glory. And so the question I'll ask for you is a simple one. It's who can you bring into the house? Who can you bring back to the house? The father went outside to implore the elder son to come back in. Who can you go outside of the house to implore to come in? That's the, that's the simple challenge Uh, of this passage. That's the simple challenge um, of participating in glory is bringing that good news, extending it to more and more people. For you, it could be sharing his goodness through simple acts of service. It could be being merciful when mercy is called for. It could be sharing your faith. It could be you sharing um, the gospel, the good news with someone who doesn't know him. It could just be as simple, uh, simple as loving our neighbors in the way that God loves us. That reflects God's glory, his love, out into the world around. Our theme for this year, and especially uh, upcoming this winter, is to love where we live. Um, Throughout the winter, we're going to have kind of like a focused eight or nine weeks on how to do this, how to reach out to our neighbors, how to uh, extend grace to more and more people, how to participate in the glory as it goes out. And we want everyone uh, who comes here, everyone to be a part of that. We're going to do it in our community groups. We're going to have workbooks that we go through, just like we did for Rooted last year, and it was great. I'm really excited about that because that's what we're we're here for, to extend his grace to more and more people. If that's the thing that matters most to God, then that's the thing that has to matter most to us. And that's what should matter most um, to each and every one of us. And here's the thing, as we participate in that, as we join God in God's mission to extend His grace to more and more people, we will find that our lives will take on meaning that they never had before. That the things that we care about, that we thought mattered most, they're not going to matter that much anymore. And that we actually can live a life. We can let there be glory in our lives in a way that wasn't before. And and there's going to be glory spread in the world around. For now, though, who who can you... uh, who can you help bring into the house? Take a step this week to do that. Uh, I'm going to invite the band up to lead us in our next song as we, as we wrap up in prayer, but here's what I'll say. Um, let there be glory. Receive his presence into your life. Share it with those around. Bring other people into the house. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, the good news which surprises us. We thank you for... Uh, your graciousness, that the thing that matters most is not, is not what we, uh, it's not our failures. It's not what we think. It's not even what we believe that matters most. The thing that matters most is what you have done for us. The thing that matters most is you just getting people back, winning, winning people back to yourself, and that includes us. And so we pray, Lord, that throughout this season, um, you would help us to live in your house, to receive your presence, to unwrap that gift, and to live it every day. Lord, we pray that you would help us, um, inspire us, move in our hearts, transform our minds to be in relationship with you, to give our time to you. And so we pray that you would uh, move in us in a way where maybe you never have before. We ask you for that, God. And so we pray for your spirit to descend on us this day. God, we also ask for the impact uh, of your glory on the world around The thing you care about is bringing more and more people to you, and so we pray that we would be able to participate in that in whatever way we can. We pray, God, that you would inspire us to reach out, to love where we live, um, to share your good news with those around us. We pray that you would grant us success in that regard, too, because our success is nothing but your success. It's what you want, and so we pray for that, God. We ask you that you would empower us um, to be a community that does not exist for itself but exists for the world around because it is the world that you love. We thank you, Jesus, that you are that gracious, that you are that good, that you are that loving, and that you are that perfect uh, priest and final sacrifice and that you are mighty now to save us. We pray, God, that you would um, grow that flower of faith in our hearts as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.